Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show's expert series, where I talk to experts in go-to-market from around the world. If you ask any entrepreneur what they need as they're getting ready to take their product to market, they'll say marketing. What they really mean, especially in the early stages, is product marketing. Product marketing is core to B2B marketing and helps companies position their product appropriately in the market and in the customer's mind and create content that clearly communicates the value. This function of marketing is also the least understood by entrepreneurs. And if you're in Europe, at least, the hardest to recruit for. So in today's episode, I talked to Daniel Murphy, who's considered one of the top experts in this domain to help demystify what product marketing is and answer some of your top of mind questions on what exactly is it? How do you hire for it? How do you measure it? We'll also get into tips for getting reviews on comparison sites or lead generation and product launches. Daniel is a startup marketer with eight years of experience who's helped successful SaaS startups like Drift, HubSpot, and now Privy to grow exponentially. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> okay, so I think it'll make sense to do a little bit of context setting. Maybe I could start off by asking you, what exactly is product marketing and what is it not? I think that's one of the most common questions for product marketing, especially for new founders and people that are building up a marketing organization that just haven't done it before. It can be a bunch of different things depending on the organization, but at its core, it's to know the product, know the customer and the magic that connected to. At the end of the day, there's so many activities, there's so many different responsibilities for product marketing, but understanding what the magic is between what connects your customers to your product. Every product has customers that love their product for something in particular or many things in particular. And so product marketers are really like investigators to try to figure out what that is and then how to use that across all of your go-to-market teams, right? So how to use that in customer success, how to use that in marketing, how to use that with sales in particular, how to use that in, in sales conversations in many different ways, demand generation and a bunch of different areas. I love that definition. I think that sums it up nicely. Hopefully we can have the conversation where we talk a little bit more tactically about what that means, especially as you're in the early stage and developing a product marketing team. But that definition really encompasses a lot of what product marketing's mission is today, startup. I always think of product marketing as kind of being the heart of marketing that really understands what the product is, as well as a product manager understands the customer and brings the two together. There's a couple different areas where people get confused. One of them is the overlap between product management and product marketing. There is um, some overlap and sometimes organizations build product marketing first and they don't have much of a product management presence. And then product marketing kind of owns the customer relationship between engineering or product and the customer. And that's just not like a good situation. You want to make sure your product management team has that relationship and owns that. But I think that, and then there's like different areas of where product marketing usually operates, where there's a lot of overlap. Product launches is probably the best example where a really strong relationship between the product team and the product marketing team is key to launching successfully. The definition I give in my course about product launches is product management is in charge of building and making sure it's ready to launch. And then product marketing owns the launch itself, right? Like that's got to yeah. be a relationship, but they've got to work hand in hand with product management to make that successful. That's usually an area where people get confused about what product marketing is not in terms of owning the relationship and feeding the engineering team or product team insights from the customer. Really, there needs to be a relationship between product management. 
Um, I think there's other areas too. And I know in some organizations, in some product marketing organizations, they own activation numbers, they own some lead gen numbers. That does happen, especially in a product-led growth model. From early stage, it's an activity-based organization. You're doing a lot of stuff like creating content that's going to resonate with your audience 100%. But as the organization scales, I call it the three phases of product marketing. As you scale from the early stage to the growth stage to the multi-product stage, then product marketing should really become more of a knowledge center and should be spending more time investigating and then enabling... uh, What we call it is enabling the enablers. So enabling the teams around you to work with other teams and make sure that knowledge, that understanding of that magic is spread across the go-to-market team. You've said so many things that I want to dig a little deeper into, Daniel. Let me go back to the first thing you said, which is around the confusion between product management and product marketing. I think that's one of the most difficult things to unpack when it comes to entrepreneurs. And the thing that I think makes that really hard is customer relationship. If you want to be a good product marketer, you need to have those customer relationships. But when there's a product management team and product management is working to build a product, especially in the early stages, they have a lot more of those interactions. Mm -hmm. And I find that product marketing is not in the loop on that. And yet Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be the voice that creates all this content for the customer. Is there any advice you would give if you have product management and product marketing on how to make that work better? Yeah. I mean, that relationship is really key. So if you're looking to improve that relationship, I would have them sit next to each other in the office, depending on what the circumstances are. Like that's what we did many times. Like we did this at at HubSpot when I was there. We decided to remove the team from sitting with the marketing team and go embed them with the product team. We were sitting with each team member. So we were split up ourselves. It's a different world now than it was a couple of years ago, but that was helpful in terms of getting close and like building the relationship, like sitting with the engineers, sitting with the designers, sitting with the product manager and feeling like you're part of the team and part of it. Now we didn't scale up the drift product marketing team to really support all of them and have a lot of relationships and have coverage across the entire product team. We were building out product really fast. And usually product marketing is a lagging you know, indicator. Yeah. Usually it's a team that gets built out when it's like, oh man, we need more product marketing later on. Um, we were kind of covering a lot of different areas, but that was really helpful. And then interfacing, getting in meetings. I mean, it's just simple relationship building. And then once the product manager knows they can rely on the product marketer to help with certain areas, whether that's cultivating a list for beta testing or jumping on the call and getting feedback, or designing great execution. Competitive research is another good one. Developing just those those muscles, that relationship is going to be really helpful for those. And so it's really just relationship building and then just building the trust. I think that's a very fair statement. It's about creating that trust that both of you are working towards the same goal. I love your framework that you used in the Product Marketing Alliance Festival, the three three stages of product marketing. I love the way you thought about product marketing based on the stage of company, whether you're early stage, growth stage, or Mm multi-product. Maybe you can talk about how you see product marketing's role across those three stages. The way I see it is there's three stages. And I wrote this towards the end of my drift tenure after I'd gone through each of those stages. Because we were going through hyper growth and I was running product marketing throughout each it just was a reflection of like kind of a unique scenario of like seeing a company grow this fast over the course of two and a half years. The team was like 60 total to 500 or 400 when we left. And we added multiple products and we had obviously crazy revenue growth and lots of new customers. And we made some changes in our strategy and a bunch of things. The breakdown is it's three different stages. is the early stage, the growth stage, and the multi-product stage. And I think the most important thing about that 
framework that I think is, is, is true. It has to start as a function-based team. Sales is a, a function-based team. They pick up the phone or they get on Zoom and they you know talk to customers. It's function. It's all about activity. Similar for the most part, like demand generation and customer success. Product marketing should eventually evolve into more of a knowledge-based team. It's more of a team that has put together the, the positioning, the vision, and the competitive intel, whatever the research is, and they're using that and, and they're spending their time enabling the rest of the team. So that can't happen at the beginning. It has to be function-based, especially when you hire your first product marketer. You can't be like, great, you're a knowledge center. You can just sit there and learn and tell everyone else. No, I mean, like you have to write the content. Usually that's really helpful in the early stage when you're trying to get a wedge in with your audience. You're trying to identify the market and what part of the market you're going to own and how you're going to own it. And content's a big part of that. And community's a part of that. And, and good messaging on your website is a part of that. And so product marketing has to be very function-based. But then as you scale and you become like growth mode, and then you're you know enabling a sales team, you become a little bit less function-based and a little bit more knowledge center. You might be spending a lot of time listening to calls, for instance, doing a lot of analysis, and then working with our sales enablement leader, right? To like train him on, instead of me going to the sales team in that early stage where I'm just working with them, hey guys, here's some competitive intel, here's this new case study. Now it becomes more process-oriented. There's other people in between myself or, or my, my team in product marketing marketing and the sales team. And we're doing the work to enable them to go train the sales team. Right now, it becomes a little bit more of a knowledge center. And then our time is obviously valuable. We have to spend it in the right place. So we spend it more on researching, understanding market trends, competitive intel, analyst relations. And that continues into that multi-product stage where suddenly you're spending a lot more time with multiple products. What is our, our vision? What is our overall positioning? Are we changing that for our, our company story? How do we support these different product lines? Now it's like we have multiple product marketers and we have to, you know, decide where to invest their time. So it becomes more of a knowledge center over time. And that's one of the things that I, I just saw over, over the course of Drift. And, and I did that presentation uh, a couple of years ago now. And it really resonated with a lot of product marketers. This is kind of the evolution of how product marketing changes in an organization. So I want to break it down a little bit. Let's start with the early stage. What million to what million? Zero to five million, probably. It depends a little bit on the business model, but probably zero to five million. What should that product marketing organization look like? How many product marketers should they have? And what should their key responsibilities be? Like, what should they be focused on? If you're lucky, you could have multiple product marketers, but I would say it's very uncommon to have more than one product marketer yeah. at, at sub 5 million. I don't think we hired more than one until uh, maybe 10 million. I don't know. So there's like the Venn diagrams. They hopefully have a very close working relationship with product, which is really important, especially the early stage, like your go-to-market and how often you're launching and you're announcing new features matters a lot more at that early stage where you're trying to get early adopters in a new market with a new product to keep using your product and keep it sticky. So it's really important to have that relationship with product and make sure you're pumping out announcements about new stuff. Uh, the other side is sales, right? So you're probably building up your sales organization, sales enablement, working with them, figuring out the secret sauce of what works in a pitch. You're probably getting on calls. You might be doing demos at that point as a product marketer with your sales team, depending on the client, the sophistication, the type of, of sale that you're making. That might be another area of it. When you get into, let's say, the growth stages like... I don't know. It depends on when you go multi-product. That's a little bit tougher. But let's say it's 5 to 25 million or 30 million. Mm -hmm. That's where the sales organization is growing rapidly. If you're going from 5 to 25 million, you're growing fast. 
you're hiring a lot of you know sales reps to come in and and and, and support that. Now it becomes more of how do you scale your sales enablement, which is a whole other thing. There might be new you know tools and software to implement. If you know you're supporting them with content with competitive intel, you might be getting a competitive intel product. But also at this stage, the other key component is starting to build that relationship with customer success. I've seen these Venn diagrams. I've actually written some of them for Drift back in the days. Product marketing sits and it's between marketing and product and sales. Well, in the growth stage, we add in a whole new circle and you have four. And then that, that new one is customer success. So now you're sitting between customer success, sales, product um, marketing, and then product. And then you're living in that world. It's really important that stage to enable the CS team and get in early on that, uh, especially in SaaS. SaaS is such a common business model. You need to have product marketing supporting, understanding what that magic is between the customer. And that's going to help you feed the sales side, right? Understanding what success looks like with customers at scale is going to help you with getting more customers, is going to help you with landing more customers, convincing them to buy. So it's important to have that full coverage as you're supporting more organizations and enabling them. That's where you've got to become less function-based and more you know, of a knowledge center for the organizations around you. What I've noticed when I think about that growth stage, or even in the early stages, you have so many competing priorities. You have to create material for sales to enable them. That's your sales enablement. You need to create content to start getting some demand gen going. And then you have the product launches and all the other things that are coming from product that can probably trigger some of this content. But beyond it, you still need demand gen content that's suitable for different channels. You have customer marketing in the growth stage to help with retention and keeping them engaged. Do you have any advice for how to create priority and focus? I think it would be based on what are the company goals for that quarter or for the, for the half of the year? Is it around retention or churn or growth numbers that you have to hit that will probably map back to what product marketing's focus and percentage split would be among the different priorities? But is there anything else that you can provide as insights from your own experience? A couple things. First is understanding the frequency with which your product team is shipping valuable improvements to the product. Every product team is a little bit different. Like Drift, they were amazing really fast. We did a lot of different things. We were growing that team really fast. We were supporting a lot of launches and a lot of product announcements. Preview is a little bit different. We have a much smaller product team. They can't do quite as much. And we're at a different kind of motion. So there's not quite as much announcement. So I would say at that early stage, understanding what your frequency for shipping valuable impact features or, or, or improvements would be important because if you and if your team is doing a lot of that and they're really aligned with what customers are looking for, I would invest a lot of product marketing time there and making sure that early, those early adopters are understanding what's coming and that they're using it and understanding what works and what doesn't because you're going to ship things that aren't going to work and, and you're going to realize that from a good go-to-market motion. I think that's a huge thing doing that. Content's another big one. Um, and, and in the early stage, content really is going to be a product marketer. You're probably going to have three marketers maybe. And, and I would say content is probably like the fourth person you hire. Product marketing, demand generation, and maybe ops. Marketing ops would be the key to get going early. Um, content you can often outsource to. In terms of goals, I don't know that it's like, here's a traffic goal for content or here's a blog subscriber goal or something like that. I think it's more along the lines of like, I was trying to make it more meaningful goal. Like, can you find content that is resonating with our audience that we're building some sense of community or audience based off of like that matches our, our customer group, right? Those early stages, that's where a product marketer with experience can, can really be helpful. Like investigating and trying different content, different topics to really 
really figure out what's going to attract the, that exact audience that's a perfect fit for your product, right? And that's why having product marketing be both on the product side and understanding that customer profile, but then also on the content side is really valuable because once they can kind of come up with that recipe of, okay, this matches who we're trying to attract and, and that's the perfect fit for um, our product, that customer profile, that's an easy handoff to the content marketing person that comes in and says, okay, here, we got to scale this. Here's what that looks like. And they'll figure that part out. But I would say that's a good, meaningful goal for product marketing on, on the content side. If you had to think about all the different types of content that you have to get going at almost the same time, you have the top of funnel content, like awareness, things that are of interest, creating awareness of whatever the problem and solution is. Then you have like deeper, long form content in the middle of the funnel, who where people know that they have a problem and they're looking for solutions. There's sales enablement content, customer marketing content. How did Drift do it? How were you guys organized? Were you like, these people create top of the funnel content, these people create bottom of the funnel content. How did you guys organize in the early days and your later stages? Truthfully, there wasn't organization like that where it's like, this is tofu, this is mofu, this is bofu, you know, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. The process there was more like in the beginning stages focused on just building an audience with content that would get people paying attention. And even then it was just like, how do we go in and try stuff? It wasn't like, let's over-engineer this and let's overthink it. The content that really worked for Drift in the early days was the podcast, Seeking Wisdom. And that had nothing to do with our product. That had nothing to do with marketing in particular. I mean, there was some marketing stuff, but that was about B2B SaaS. And I don't know all this because I wasn't there in the very beginning, but I think David and DG probably looked at it and said, Hey, you know, we know we're going to serve B2B SaaS. We don't know much more than that because at the early stages, they didn't know if it was going to be a product marketing audience or a demand gen or sales, but they knew B2B SaaS was a good bet. It was a trend. It was something they thought if we can, you know, create a podcast that is going to cultivate an audience of B2B SaaS employees or, or people in the work in B2B SaaS, then we can get sharper from there. That's what they did. And they built that audience. So from the top of the funnel standpoint, it wasn't like product marketing came in and said, Hey, these are the topics that are going to help us and fit perfectly for our customer profile. I think it was just about building a brand and building awareness about the podcast. And that led to a lot of awareness about Drift. As you go through the motions of scaling the team, learning more about the customers, it was just good feedback loops. It was just really good internal communication between you know different teams, understanding who are we selling to, and this is our audience. It's not product marketing; it's demand generation, and it's B two B, and doubling down on topics that were more B two B marketing focused. If you do a search, "What is product marketing?" on Google today, Drift shows up because early on it was like, "Hey, we think we can own this, and we think that's our audience." And it turned out it wasn't the right audience, but that's fine. But they just tried different things and, and wrote really good, compelling content. To, to attract those audiences. So that's more on the top of the funnel side. And then, yeah, as we scaled up product marketing, there became more focus on what is the right content for middle of the funnel, like case studies was a big one, videos was another one, testimonials, different things like that that we sort of investigated in. But it wasn't a super well organized machine. It was really, like I say, just playing jazz. You're just kind of improvising, you're playing, making good music. You know, it's not really <laughs> like you have sheet music and you're trying to play as an orchestra and everybody has their own tune. It's like you're just trying to get good rhythm. It's not great advice, but that's kind of the best thing I yeah. Yeah. describe in terms of what we were doing then. So with one product marketer, what's a good rhythm to have in terms of like how many pieces of content should they be producing? Did you outsource? Was it all in-house? Any metrics on number of content pieces that you should be able to produce? I, I don't have a recommendation on frequency, which I know is would be the, the most helpful because it really does depend. It depends on the organization and what the motion is. I would say focus first on the channels. This is maybe a little bit removed from product marketing, but I would focus on the channels first that are going to work for you. Podcasts, huge channel. Obviously, that's what we're doing now. It's, it's becoming a much more common channel for everything. 
blog it is still good because you can just the frequency at which you can post. And then there's other communities, there's LinkedIn, there's Twitter, there's other places you can go out and build out an audience and you can pick just a couple that you think are right for you. In terms of product marketing content, we were doing maybe one post a week on the blog and it was more tactical. And I'm seeing that now at Privy, like we're trying to get more product training specific to our audience of what they need, examples of emails, examples of pop-ups. I think we're trying to be more specific. And we have that layered in with brand-led stuff, which is more thought leadership and less tactical content. I don't have a perfect recipe for this. I think it really is about hiring the right product marketer that can come in and understand what's going on and try different things. Maybe YouTube. Maybe they're doing something with a podcast. Maybe they're doing something that you can be doing updates in-app. That's a big common one, writing feature updates in, in the product if that's available. So there's a bunch of different things. I would say you just got to try a lot of them and, and trial and yeah. error is going to help you move the needle. Yeah. I hope the audience listening is saying, Oh my God, I need a product marketer. And you touched on this. Obviously, hiring is critical. And the product marketing hire is typically one of the first hires that if the entrepreneurs are not doing it, someone is telling them that they should do it. What should you look for in a product marketing hire? And how important is domain expertise for that? I think domain expertise is important. It, I had a, a colleague reach out who is just starting to build her product marketing org at her company. She said, what is the profile? And they're in the legal space. I don't know how easy it is to find someone, but I'd say someone that has paralegal experience in the past or maybe has a family you know, lawyer or something like that. I mean, law is not as fun as engineering or marketing, which are usually people that are more passionate there. But I'm sure there's people out there that are very passionate about legal work and, and stuff like that. And so that would you know, be doing marketing. I think it is important to have domain expertise, especially in the early stage. It, it makes a difference. We hired someone for Privy that had built a million dollar e-commerce business and sold it to be our product marketer on our team. And, and that's made a huge difference because he knows a bunch of stuff. He has domain experience. He has credibility. And he's super passionate about this stuff. He really loves talking to people about how to build their business. And that's made a huge difference for us. I realize that's not always the case for every startup out there. You really want someone that can... I always just describe it as like a really good listener. I never was early in my career. I'm an extrovert. I love talking. But I had to learn that skill set of like being a better listener. Sit there and listen to people. Can you get on calls and actually listen for the right things? Can you sit on a demo and actually listen for the right indications from customers? It's critical thinking too. It's, It's research. It's other stuff. But I think that's an underthought skill set sometimes in product marketing. They really have to be good at picking up on the signals. And so that's an important thing. Product marketers are usually sort of Swiss army knives. They usually have a lot of background. No one ever really went to school to go to do product marketing. That would be rare. But they usually they just have a, a wide range of different, different skills and different abilities. Yeah. So since you say domain expertise is so important for a hire, can you take someone who has that domain expertise in whatever industry the the company is in and can you train them so they don't have product marketing experience but they're domain experts and if yes what resources or training would you recommend the entrepreneur put this person through so that they can become a product marketer yes it's very possible again that's what we're doing here at privy connor my team does not have any product marketing experience. He's seen some product marketing at other organizations. Yes, you can absolutely develop those skills and be be good. I think the training part, the part that usually needs investment is the mechanics and the framework. So I have my framework and I taught him, here's how we do it. Here's the process. And here's how to you know, do it effectively. I think it's also just giving them the tools and being like, okay, it's okay 
to go spend three hours listening to customer calls. Like that's a good thing to do. And then take a bunch of notes and write a wiki post and that's your whole day. Training to do the research and, and listening. And I think that's why I bring that up as a skill set because a lot of people get hired that don't have product marketing experience or everyone that's in product marketing now didn't at some point and then they got hired into the role. And I think the ones that succeed are really good at doing that research, listening for the right things, critical thinking, thinking strategically, thinking about the market. And if you're revamping your positioning, what is your market opportunity and why do you have that opportunity, right? So I think those things come with time. If you can get someone with product marketing experience, you're going to be in a better position, especially early stage, because they're going to be one of a few marketers on the team. And I think having someone with experience is going to be a lot more valuable than someone that doesn't just know the mechanics, especially if you're a first-time founder. If you haven't seen product marketing or at a sufficient level, I would look for someone with some product marketing experience. Okay. And it's like, Daniel, you thought about what I was going to ask you because my question after this was definitely around product launches, which is probably, as you said, one of the most important things that product marketing squarely owns where they work very closely with product. And in the early stages, it's what the whole company is about. Talk me through how you do product launches. What is your process? And and how do you think about product launches? I want to remove from people's brain the idea that it has to be like the product team came to you and they said they have this new thing and now you design a launch. I think that's the wrong way of going about it. Like a launch could be anything. And I've done launches that are a brand new thing. Maybe we just made some improvements, but we turned it into a larger story. And we turned it into what we would call a marketable moment. A moment we could go out, we could market this, this thing and draw some attention to it. And that has incredible impact nowadays if you can organize the launch the right way. Product marketing and products should be talking every month. We would do a 60-minute meeting with product. We still do this at Privy. 60-minute meetings once a month on what's coming. And just really an open conversation about what they're building, what problems they're trying to solve. And then it's up to product marketing to figure out like this is a launch. What if we relaunch this thing and we talk about this new angle for it because it fits this other strategic goal that we have as a company? So like think about launches like, hey, the scorecard for this year for the company might be we got to reduce churn. And these these things that are coming in, in the product, like we can design some customer launches versus a big market launch. But we can design these launches to help drive adoption of these new features, which we think was going to you know, bring down churn. There's all these different things. And I think that's why product marketing becomes more of a knowledge center. And, and you're sitting between a bunch of organizations and you're reading the signals and think, you know what, that actually could be a launch. And launches are just super powerful. So I do teach the, the framework. I teach it at the productlaunchmasterclass.com. I, I developed this at, at Drift for the last 60 or so launches that I've done. And I had several before I got to Drift. I was doing this repeat system that was working and, and we had a lot of success with launches, and especially in that early stage. So I wanted to put together my, my framework. And so I, I did a course on it. So it really starts with what is our big opportunity? What is our strategic priorities for this year? How do we map our launches to that? And then developing a launch with it. There's many different ways of going about that. It starts with the launch goal. Like, all right, here's our big strategic goal for the year. We think by driving adoption of this you know, new feature, it's going to help with churn. So we're going to design a launch goal for that. We're going to drive 100 people to set up this integration or whatever the, the thing is within the first week. And then you design you know, your entire launch around that. So it's not just... I think the misconception is that launches are like, you just go and make an announcement. You go on Product Hunt and tweet and send emails. Yeah, oftentimes that's a, that's a market launch. That's something you do. But other times it's a customer launch or something more strategic and you design a launch around, okay, we have this new thing coming out. Who do we want to target? How do we want to reach out to them? And what is our goal? Why is that going to help us hit our company's strategic goals for the year? And it's just a different way of going about it. And then we might have instead of like two or three big launches in the year, product marketing is only like 
five to seven launches in the year and you have that plan of what you're going to be executing on. Yeah, absolutely. I think the two things you said, which I want to reiterate, one is product launches from a marketing perspective don't have to be tied to the product. It needs to be tied to a story that you can tell in a compelling way that is going to drive a goal that you have for the launch. The tactics around product launch and what it is does not have to be a cookie cutter, a press release, a blog, but rather it should be driven by what the goal is that launch is supposed to do. Exactly. A a press release is not going to make sense. It's a good example for probably 70% of your launches, right? And if you're thinking about the right way and how to enable customers and stuff like that, it might be just emails and working really closely with your customer success team to train them on this new thing and making sure that they have the incentives to go and talk to customers. I mean, a lot of it is looking at the strategy of it and how do we roll out something that's going to be really effective and a press release yeah. or tweets or new homepage, landing page don't always make sense for, for you know these launches. And, and that's like the right way of thinking about it. Excellent. The other thing that I know you've done a lot of, and I know that for B2B companies, it becomes a really big deal getting product reviews, whether it's on G2 Crowd or Trust Radius. And I know that you grew HubSpot's customer review program and generated thousands of customer reviews on those type of sites. And I was wondering if you could share some insights on how you go about getting customer reviews. Yeah. So it's funny now that you mentioned that like customer reviews have been a component of every startup that I've worked at. Here's the first thing I want to say about customer reviews. Even if uh, they're not of huge strategic value to the organization, like they're part of your demand gen funnel or, or or the frequency of them is not super important. Having your whole team rally behind the place for the reviews and that like showing your team, your company, these reviews coming in real customer insights that are happy and they're excited. That is super powerful. We're seeing that at Privy now. We have, so we have 25,000 reviews roughly on the Shopify app store. That's a huge audience. We, we work very close to Shopify. Um, and we've been around for a while. We've had 25,000 reviews, 18,000 of which are five-star reviews. We're making some changes. We're, we've been trying new support angle. We've been doing more coaching with our customers, We're trying some new things to get them successful with our product that we haven't done before. And then we see that reflected in the reviews. And we see people give shout outs to certain sales reps and support reps and customer success managers. That's super powerful to the organization. In that case, it does have a big impact on our demanded funnel. But even if it didn't, it's really helpful for the team to rally behind reviews and see them. And there's just something about seeing a customer, in their words, say, Casey's awesome or Mike is awesome, you know, and that just has a huge impact. So reviews are super powerful to the organization for, for many reasons. In terms of process, I think the first thing there is just you got to have someone own the reviews and own a program of running them. Like I owned that program and I was a, you know, a young marketer at HubSpot and I was just kind of getting started. And they said, Hey, can we figure out you know, how to write reviews here? There's different ways of doing it. There's incentive based. So you give some incentive for writing them. There's just really good placements. So the most common thing is in app at the right time asking for that review. Someone that's gone live with the campaign for Privy, for instance, or someone that's like generated a certain amount of revenue, you know, or sales through Privy, like then it's like, you know what, this person's probably happy. We should ask them for a review. There's all those different ways of doing it. And then there's just old school email, right? There's just there's email outreach, put it in your nurture, put in your your activation campaigns or your expired campaigns and and get people back in and using the product and then ask for reviews. It's just good old fashioned marketing automation. That's the other part of it. It's important to put it somewhere in your marketing and has a huge impact on the team. And obviously from our standpoint, it's a big part of our positioning at Privy. Like we have 18,000 five-star reviews in Shopify, the most of any sales app in the Shopify app store. 
And so I, I would just say investing in that is good. I think it sometimes can be deprioritized in comparison to other things. And I totally get that. But there's so many ways to automate that once you have volume. But in the early stages, it's just simple. Just out, reach out to people, ask them for reviews that people you know, you know are happy or are tweeting about you. Figure out how to make them superheroes and then figure out how to find more of them and get them to you know, jot down why I love your product so much. Love it. So at Drift and now at Privy, you're central to growing leads and pipeline. What do you believe is the product marketing manager's role in generating leads that convert? Yeah. So again, this is where there's sometimes confusion between product marketing and demand generation or product uh, management and product marketing, like those overlaps. If you're pre-lead generation, if like product marketer in and you're really the sole marketer and you're focused on lead generation, content's a good place to start. If you're focusing on optimizing for converting the right type of profile, you're going to get you know, better quality from content or organic than you are from any kind of paid channel. So it's good to invest there. The problem always there is volume. You never can get as much as you want. And that's why, you know, there's always the constant struggle with advertising and then you get lower quality. But I would say like, especially in the early stages, there's something really helpful about having a smaller audience that you can actually use to your advantage, which is really turning those first you know, 100 leads or 100 customers, turning them into super users, making them super successful, working with them really closely, being a resource to them. Even if you don't even have customer success, you as a marketer can reach out and send them videos. And, and it's kind of like a small community that you can manage better. If you're worrying about converting leads or high quality leads, and that's an issue, and your, your volume is low, I wouldn't actually say go create more content or go uh, spend more on advertising if you have immediate need, sure. But I'd also say like just invest in the relationship you have with the leads now because that pays off huge if you can make them really successful. Because like we talk about this all the time, right? Like uh, word of mouth and you know, oh, I'm using this product, it's great. Like is going to get you a lot more happy, successful, sticky, long-term customers than than we need a thousand dollars to spend on AdWords or, or Facebook ads this month. It sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I would invest heavier into the relationships you do have, making them super successful because they're going to go tell other people, right? And they probably know other people that are struggling with the same problem and within their group and, and will be interested in your product. So I would invest in them. Also, you get more social proof out of them. You get the reviews. You can write a case study. You can you know, do a video with them. And I kind of put them at the center of your marketing and use that to grow. And that's going to get you the, the right type of um, attention, the right types of leads in the door. Danielle, is there anything that I haven't asked in terms of what entrepreneurs and first-time founders should be thinking about when they have to think about product marketing? Any big gotchas that they should be aware of or any advice that you have? I think giving product marketers the space to go and do what they need to do, build the relationships. I think another thing is if you're seeing your product marketing hire or not, build those internal relationships or not build that trust internally, that's a red flag. It should be a lot of cross collaboration, working within the sales, the product team, building those relationships. If that feels like that's lacking and it's not there and they need to be encouraged to do that, that's usually a red flag that they're not the right fit. Just from a managing standpoint, you know, push them, let them go do their thing. But also if those relationships aren't being built, I think that's a really important one to ID and, and make a change if that's not happening. Okay. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining me on this podcast. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep building.